Ah, sweet land of liberty. Our founding fathers not only pledged, but gave their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor to obtain our God-given liberty. Now it's our turn. Liberty can only thrive if it's alive in the hearts of a freedom-loving people. I'm Dan Matthews, and I'm pleased to welcome you to Freedom's Ring. Here's our host and constitutional lawyer and minister, Alan Reinach. We have a very interesting topic today, Dan. Sex and the religion of me. We grew up in an era when marriage was a man and a woman, and now we're in you know, an era that even us children of the 60s can hardly recognize as an era of sexual liberation. What happened and what are the implications? Our guest today is attorney and author James Kalb. Uh, wrote an article entitled Sex and the Religion of Me in the journal First Things. James, thanks for being with us on Freedom's Ring today. It's good to talk with you. What, um, what's your basic thesis? Explain it to our listeners about uh, how sex has become part of a new religion. Well, it's uh, really the new religion that, uh, that tells you how to deal with sex. The, uh, it all goes back yeah, to some very basic, uh, you know, modern trends and thought, which uh, unfortunately get sort of philosophical, but they, which means they pop up absolutely everywhere, and, and affect everything. And uh, you know, the basic trend uh, that's most relevant is that uh, you have this dissolution of the connection between the mind and the body, and the history, and the setting of the human being. So instead of having somebody who's a man with a particular family and a setting, with a, who lives in a particular place with these friends and, and, and those relatives and so on, uh, you have the idea of the absolutely independent individual who's got uh, no ties except the ties he chooses. And uh, he's the one who decides what he is. And what he's going to do. And, so, in uh, other words, society has no claim on him morally or physically of of any kind. It's the almighty ego. Well, it's the almighty ego, and actually, it gets a little bit more complicated than that because you have all these almighty egos, and there's enough realism in the picture to tell you that they have to somehow cooperate, so that uh, you know. I mean, each of us is a little god, but you have all these equal gods, and, and so somehow you have a system that recognizes their equal godhead. So that, uh, you know, if I say that uh, even though I look like I'm a man, I'm a woman, and somebody else says, uh, well, no, I look like a man and I'm a man, you know, we both have to equally uh, respect each other's self-definition. Got it. So everybody gets to define themselves, but society doesn't get to define anybody. That's right. And part of defining yourself is to say what your relations to other people are, because you don't have any set relations. You choose and define your relations, uh, because uh, you know if that weren't so, then you'd be subject to some sort of compulsion or some sort of definition of other people that tells you who you're connected to and what kind of person you are. You know, I was talking with someone recently who was dating a Persian gentleman from a Persian family. And he spends every Friday evening, every Shabbat, with his family. 
And I'm thinking, you know, and he's a guy who's, you know, in his late 20s or maybe 30 or something. I'm thinking, how nice to have that kind of, you know, family tie. How rare in Western life that somebody could not be drug away from his family on on Shabbat. Um, but this religion that, that I hear you talking about uh, hardly even recognizes the existence of these sorts of community and family ties. Well, the, the claim is that there's, you know, if you like your family ties, you can keep them. You know, that, that, that's the claim. But uh, yeah, obviously that doesn't really work because uh, part of what it is to have family ties is that they're ties that bind. And no tie ever binds uh, in this new concept of, uh, of what human beings are, which really has taken on a religious quality. Uh, you know, if you uh, tell somebody who he is, you're violating his uh, I am that I am. One of the things that intrigued me reading your article was um, the extent to which this goes to sexual liberation and um, our redefinition now. Um, of everyone's right to to sexual expression. Yeah, it, it gets complicated, obviously, because uh, you're supposed to be absolutely free, and uh, yeah, that's difficult because, after all, we're subject to all sorts of uh, impulses and uh, and desires and uh, compulsions that uh, you know you know we don't simply choose, and there's different ways to deal with them. If you're a, a Buddhist, you can say, well, gee, those are external things that really tie you down, so you got to get rid of them, and that, that's what freedom is. Except in the West, we don't do that. And uh, so in the past, what we've done is to say, well, it's all part of the structure of life in which there are men and women, and they establish family ties and have children, and that's part of the continuity of generations and the nature of the social world, and it's divinely ordained. And so the ideal is to, uh, you know, sort of uh, educate people and, and train ourselves uh, to uh, to fit in with that, even though we have some impulses that go in another direction. But that resolution doesn't really work in this new religion of me. So if you have this impulse that's really strong, the only way that you can maintain your idea of freedom is, say, well, if I have this impulse and it's really strong and it uh, is something that I can't wish, wish away, then that impulse must define who I am. I hereby take that impulse and I define myself as somebody who's oriented that way. You know, I I heard a very intriguing discussion by a, a Christian leader uh, some months back discussing the issue of same-sex marriage. Um within a biblical and, and Christian context. And his observation that I think is relevant to this discussion is that um, the research shows that most LGBT-type folks, uh, even if they uh, accept Christ as their Savior, are unlikely to change their sexual orientation. But he said the difference is that uh, LGBT folks tend to find their identity in their sexuality, whereas when we commit our lives to Christ, we find our identity in Christ. And that can be true just as much for someone who, um, you know, whose sexual orientation is that of LGBT. 
Well, yeah, that, that's the sort of thing that I'm talking about that uh, in, in the Christian conception, which is a traditional Western conception, you're part of a larger whole, and, and that's what gives what you are value. It, uh, you know, by participating in that whole, you become something more than just you. Uh, whereas the new concept is that uh, you know there isn't any larger whole. You know, there's just you. So in order to have uh, uh, a divinity, you must be the divinity. And so, therefore, whichever direction you find yourself pointed, that must be uh, the divinely uh, inspired direction for you. And so, therefore, that's the way you define yourself, and that's the way you restore the equilibrium. So uh, there's no possibility of a, a sense of sin in the, uh, or of separation from what you ought to be or of aspiration in the new religion apart from failure to accept what you are and to uh, develop it as, uh, as sincerely and authentically as you can. Now, we've had a lot of discussions about uh, intolerance, and certainly the liberal tendency in this country is to see you know, liberalism and the whole emphasis on LGBT rights as progressive, as inclusive, as favoring equality and tolerance and all of that. But increasingly, those of us who have different views, biblical views of, of human sexuality, we find that equality applies to everybody but us. And tolerance applies to every view of human sexuality except for our traditional view of sexuality and marriage. Uh, is is that consistent with with what you're finding and and your uh, your views here on the new religion of me? Well, well yeah, um, actually, the uh, in the current situation, uh, if your preferred sexuality happens to orient you toward uh, the opposite sex, then you know that's fine. That's up to you. Uh, you, you know, I mean, you, you might be able to find growth and uh, sort of broadening your horizons, but that's acceptable. But that, of course, is not really what the traditional view is, because the traditional view is not simply that, you know, if I'm a man, I'm oriented toward women on that side of life, but that it's right to be so, and it makes me part of a larger structure that I didn't invent. You know, that's what family life is. It's a larger structure I didn't invent that has a function and a nature that I didn't invent, and uh, I, I, I grow in dignity and in my position in the world by participating in that. And that's what the new religion can't stand. It can't stand the idea which is intrinsic in the traditional view of sexuality and family life, that there's this larger structure that doesn't depend on human invention. And so, therefore, that view that there is such a structure uh, that there really is family life, which is real and doesn't depend on what we, uh, its nature doesn't depend on what we choose. That has to be suppressed because to say that suggests that somebody else's arrangements, those arrangements are less good. Have you given some thought to where this leads us as a society, as a nation? Be very interested in, in your perspective on this. Well, it, it ties into. Uh, I've said it sort of reflects a tendency of modern thought. It also reflects tendencies in, in social organization because you break down relationships like family or local community 
based on close personal ties because, you know, those are supposed to be things that only exist to the extent that you say they do for as long as you say they do. And that uh, promotes uh, a social order that's based simply on commerce. That is to say, you sort of trade things with other people, and and once you trade it, that's the end of the relationship, or on this uh, kind of overall bureaucratic uh, uh, structure that uh, tells people in accordance with general rules what they can and can't do and is designed to keep them from stepping on each other's toes. So it it very much ties into uh, 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 kind of a technocratic uh, idea of the social world as a kind of an industry that's organized in in an industrial kind of way. So what I'm hearing, and I I also saw this in in your writing, is that when you remove... uh, people from their social and their religious, uh, you know, context, what you have is a whole social and political and economic structure built on the ego simply being a consumer, being a vote to manipulate, um, you know, being a buyer and seller. And, And frankly, I see that in the hookup generation where sex has become a commodity, not, uh, you know, an expression of genuine intimacy. Absolutely. And the basic control on that is is not uh, any traditional arrangement or obligation, but some sort of bureaucratic regulation, because that's the only thing that's sufficiently equal and neutral to to measure up to the new requirements. We're out of time. Our guest today, uh, lawyer and author James Cobb, very stimulating article entitled Sex and the Religion of Me in the journal First Things. James, thanks for being with us on Freedom's Ring today. Okay, thanks for having me. It's good to talk with you, and I hope your listeners found something interesting. And as we close, don't forget to email me at mrliberty at churchdate.org with your suggestion for what you perceive to be the number one religious freedom problem in America today. Thank you for listening, and Freedom's Ring is now available on SoundCloud on the Internet. Check out our Freedom's Ring SoundCloud radio station. This has been Freedom's Ring. I'm your host, Alan Reinach. Until next week, let Freedom Ring. <laughs>